0: Wow, this week. I looked at that girl and I go, oh my goodness. (laughs) I wanted to say 14 pounds, 8 ounces. It's 8 pounds, 14 ounces. (laughs) That would be a big child. (laughs) But uh, I guess they're doing fine. I just found out his name this morning. So keep them in your prayers. And uh, Manny's a blessed man. And uh, it's good to see. Also, on your Valentine's dinner, there is a sign-up sheet. Most of you are going, to have already signed up. But we're trying to work out a menu. So there's a menu back there. And if you could, either email Stephanie Libby or sign up back there what you would like as uh, the main course of your meal. And we'll be going to (laughs) Papoo's... Papu be Greek, okay? And that's what we're going to have. We're going to have a Greek dinner downtown, so it'll be a good time. This morning we're in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 19. We'll be finishing up verse 11 through the end, so make sure you find your way there. Uh, And let me say something to you this morning to encourage you in every language of the world. Hallelujah! Yeah, I talked about that last week. So you know, there is no translating hallelujah. It's hallelujah. And it's the same in every language. And it simply means praise the Lord. When Lori and I went to Israel, we were staying at a kibbutz that had been turned kind of into a motel type thing by the Sea of Galilee. And I'm an early riser, and I'm out walking one morning just about daybreak. And I heard a song coming up from the shores of the Galilee. And I was familiar with the song, but the language, not a bit familiar with. And it was a group of Christians down by the shore singing, How Great Thou Art. But they're singing it in Korean so I understood none of it but I recognized the tune and we recognize melodies and tunes and sometimes they're international but there aren't very many international words so hallelujah is one of those few words with an international meaning and you hear that word in Christian circles and groups also Every culture that is um, out there, far as I know, they have weddings. And at weddings, they're always joyous occasions. And they're joyous throughout the world. Because, you know, it's a good thing when a couple find each other, they fall in love, they get married. And we have an angel in chapter 19, verse 5. And he's coming from the throne room of God, and he's exhorting us to praise our omnipotent God. And he says, be glad and rejoice, and give God glory, and then he says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. A joyous time has come to heaven. Even more joyous than perhaps normal. Have you ever seen a bride that wasn't happy or excited about her wedding? You don't have to cheer up a bride about her wedding. <laughs> Let me say a word to any possible grooms. If you have to cheer up your bride about the wedding, maybe you should reconsider. Yeah. <laughs> uh, It's a natural thing for the bride to be excited about her wedding. And we are to be excited, all of heaven is, about Jesus and the marriage supper of the Lamb. John is told by this angel, write, write it down John. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says, for these are true sayings of God. In other words, this is an invitation, RSVP, whatever. It's going to happen. And this angel happens to be quoting God himself. And the angel tells John, write this down. Don't trust it to your memory, John. Write it down. And John does write it down. He is obedient. And then John He becomes awestruck, and he falls down at the feet of this angel, and he worships. What's wrong with that scene? Well, no one has to tell this angel he's in the presence of God. No one has to tell him, stop John. (laughs) Nobody has to let him know that this is improper. And he does, and he tells John, stop it, and basically says, stop it now. Satan, or Lucifer, basically was cast out of heaven for being lifted up in pride and what? Desiring worship. Satan was dismissed from heaven for desiring worship that was due to God. And this angel is quick to chastise John. And he says, see that you don't do that. Knock it off. <laughs> you know." And any of us, whether angelic being or human being, we're never to give our worship to anyone but God alone. And we're for sure never to receive worship. In the book of Acts, we have Peter who tells a group uh, don't do that. Don't be worshiping me. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they do the same thing. They tell a group, don't be worshiping us. In uh, Acts 14 uh, records Paul and Barnabas, their um, little episode. And Paul and Barnabas, they're in a crowd. There's a crowd there. And they cried out in a loud voice to a man that's crippled. And they and this man has been crippled from birth, and they tell this man, stand up straight on your feet. Not only does he stand up, and he's healed instantly, but he leaps and walks and praises God. And the crowd basically goes bananas. Look out, you know. And they begin to shout, you know, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Barnabas they call Zeus, and Paul they call Hermes or Mercury. Now let me read you two verses in Acts 14 there. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. In other words, worship God and quit trying to worship us. This angel in Revelation 19, verse 10, Peter and Paul and Barnabas, they have a great fear. They have a well-thought-out knowledge not to receive worship. Whenever... Any prayer or worship is directed towards man or an angel in Scripture, whenever we read about it, that person, that being is quick to direct that praise and worship to God. None of them receive that worship. The angel cries out to John, See that you don't do that. Worship God. The disciples asked some very pertinent questions of Jesus. And one of those questions was, Lord, how do we pray? Or Lord, teach us to pray. And in Luke 11, 2, Jesus told them how to pray. I like that. And he said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Prayer is is to be to God. Matthew 6, 9, same thing. In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Now, John isn't praying to this angel that he has fell down uh, prostrate before to worship, but prayer is the next step in worship. This angel is trying to stop uh, John before he gets to that point. And he wants to make sure John doesn't pray to him. And then he says, Worship God and worship Him alone. So let's pick it up in Revelation chapter 19, verse six, uh, 11 through 16. Now I saw in heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except him. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, We'll read the rest of the chapter here in a moment. This scene is a Christmas passage. But not for Christians, but for Jews. It's the Jewish Christmas. And if you know anything about world religion, that's a oxymoron. You can't say that. But we Christians celebrate Jesus' coming as what? A babe in Bethlehem, virgin birth, you know, the shepherds, that whole scene. But the Jewish people as a whole have never received their Messiah, but they will. And we have the details of Jesus returning at the end of the age and the Jews accept him. Jesus returning as a conquering Messiah coming to save Israel. Jesus will descend out of the heavens riding on a white stallion and he will stop the battle or really finish the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus will set up his kingdom here on earth and truly then we will have his kingdom come, his will be done. There happens to be a Jewish prayer and the Jews usually have their rab- rabbis write out their prayers because uh, they feel, as a person, inadequate to even pray a personal prayer. So many, many of the Jewish's, their prayers are written by uh, rabbis, but there's one particular prayer that they've been praying for 3,500 years. Uh, Let me read that little prayer to you. I believe with complete faith in the coming of Messiah. And though he tarry, yet I wait for him every coming day. A Jewish prayer. That prayer has been prayed now for 3,500 years. There is an amazing thing about prayer. Prayer. And perhaps you've done it. I know there's certain things that I've prayed for for years and haven't seen them answered or completed yet. But many times when we pray a prayer and pray a prayer and then pray it again and again, our God is at work orchestrating the events to answer that prayer. Because I'm here to assure you that God hears and answers every prayer. Our God, He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. And He does as He wills, when He wills. But this Jewish prayer, it will be answered. And we've just read of the answer they're in revelation. All prayers are answered by God. and if you've attended here for any while uh, length of time from you know what I'm going to say next, there's yes, no, or not now. Nothing else. God either says yes to your prayer, no to your prayer or not now. I like the yes answers. I prefer those. But even as you grow in the Lord and as you mature in the Lord, you learn to like some of those no answers. Years ago, we first moved here to Alabama. My son was head over heels infatuated with a young lady that I considered of questionable character. You know, I'm Dad, right? And he asked me, Dad, is it okay if I pray for this young lady to be my girlfriend? I said, sure, son. God knows your heart. You pray that way. But here was the the dilemma. Me, his dad... I'm praying in the opposite direction. So you got prayers going up, be girlfriend, you got prayers going up, and oh Lord, take her out of his life. And God is receiving two different prayer requests there. I'm happy to report, I won. Now my son is happily married today to a wonderful Christian lady, and he is also happy that Dad' prayer won out. then we have the not now answers to a prayer, like the Jewish prayer, for Messiah will come as a conquering Messiah, but not yet, and in time, God won't answer that Jewish prayer, he will come as conquering Messiah, and he's going to answer it because he's God. He's not going to answer it because they're praying with faith. He's not going to answer it because they're praying with a lack of faith. But because God answers every prayer directed to him in his own way. He's God. And many times, we attempt to reduce or take away God's options, or choices. We attempt by prayer to have our will be done. God's plan, God's will, will not, cannot be accomplished if God answers every one of our prayers with the affirmative. He can't do it. He cannot answer all of your prayers yes. Yes. We have to be willing to accept the no's. And oftentimes, the no's are so much better for us. But Jesus, excuse me, Jesus will return upon the white horse. And it's interesting to know what he will be called. He will be called faithful and true. Just think of that faithful and true. Not maybe or perhaps faithful and true. Not with some truth in Him or, boy, He has His truthful moments. No, completely faithful, completely true. God is faithful to His Word and He's faithful to His promises to each and every one of us. Has God given you promises? Have you read a verse or a promise in Scripture and it just stuck out and said, this is for you? Hang on to that. God will fulfill His promises. And it's not based upon us being faithful. For it says, even though we be faithless, yet He is faithful. Faithful. Our hope and our trust is in our all-faithful God. Our Lord is true. He is genuine. Jesus doesn't merely speak of the truth. He is truth. And His words are completely true. For we're told God cannot lie cannot lie. And then we come to the second title or the second name of Jesus. And we're told a little bit about Jesus, that he has eyes like a flaming fire. But we don't know the name. The name remains unknown. Verse 12, he has a name written on Uh, 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 He has a name written that no one knows except himself. Okay, that name we do not know. Case closed. Verse 13. Again, we have a description, then a name. Jesus clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And then we have the name, the Word of God. In John's Gospel, before John wrote Revelation, he wrote the Gospel of John years earlier. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, he gives us the name of Jesus, the Word of God. That's his name, the Word of God. So this isn't new territory for John, because he'd been given the name of Jesus back when he wrote his gospel. There is a Hebrew word for God, and I'm sure I probably have mispronounced it, but it's mimrah. And mimra simply means the Word. Jesus, the Word. God's ultimate expression to man. And then we have the armies of heaven, we have the saints, you and I, and those martyred during the tribulation, and we follow Jesus, and we also ride upon white horses. You ever ride a horse? (laughs) We will. And coming out of the mouth of Jesus was a sharp sword. And when you read out of the mouth of Jesus a sharp sword, you can't help but reference God's Word being sharper than a two-edged sword. And we have a literal expression of God's spoken Word and He's striking the nation's that are gathered to battle against Israel. And we're with Him. Jesus is accompanied by us, His saints, and Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And I I can't help but think this is speaking of the millennial reign of Christ, which will begin shortly after the rapture of the church. And then we have the final name of Jesus on his robe and on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's a victorious name. uh, One that everyone must submit to. The beast, the false prophets, the antichrist, the kings and rulers of earth. Everyone must submit to the king of kings and Lord of lords. Now... Lest anyone think this battle, this war, where Jesus is victorious, that it's just symbolism or it's symbolic or, you know, that it's anything but real, let's read the rest of the chapter and uh, we'll just go from there. Revelation nineteen seventeen through 21. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all peoples, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeds from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. When we read of this angel standing in the sun. This angel has the sun as a backdrop for him and he still shines. You can still make him out because he's that bright. This angel calls for all the birds of the earth. Come to the great supper of the great God. Every bird is called to come and gorge, eat the flesh of those that have been slain who oppose God. Quite a scene. But not all of God's enemies are destroyed or slaughtered there. Well, I shouldn't say destroyed. Not all of God's enemies are slaughtered there. The beast and the false prophet, they're captured and then they're cast alive into the lake of fire. That's pretty graphic. I want you to pay attention, in the book of Revelation you have many times words like as unto or like, referring this is like what's happening. There are no qualifiers here. There are no as or like unto, but they're cast alive into the lake. Of fire into a literal hell. No as, no like, or it should be this way. It's a literal description of where the beast and the false prophet are thrown. Personally, I'm always amazed when I read of the arrogance Read of the folly of anyone, human or angelic, who opposes God. Does that ever amaze you? Why would anybody, including Satan himself, oppose God, the ultimate power? Any rational being, before they go to war, considers, Is this battle a battle I can win? Luke talks about this in his Gospel, 14, 31, and 32. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider where he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks the conditions of peace. Luke is uh, Jesus speaking there, by the way. He's just telling us... You don't go to war unless you have a plan, and you don't go to war unless you think you can win. And God's enemies are not stupid, but they are irrational. They are blind to the truth. You cannot fight God and win. Yet Satan and his host are completely deceived to believe, even for a moment, they can war against God and win. That always baffles me. Have you ever wondered why Satan continues in his war against God? Why do you do it? Well, we get a clue in that Satan is the master deceiver. The father of lies. And here's the thing. He has bought into his own lies. For there truly is a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And there's no if, there's no ands, there's no buts about it, no perhaps, no maybes. It is a straightforward truth. Now, hell isn't preached about in the church much anymore. The thought of hell sometimes overwhelms me. It really does. I think about hell and it's just like, it's just too horrendous. It's just such an awesome destruction that it's mind-boggling. But that doesn't take away from the reality of it. The good news, as a Christian, you're on the winning team. (laughs) That is good news. And God wins. Hell and the lake of fire were never created for man. They were created for Satan. So for a man to go to hell... He must run through the roadblocks of the Holy Spirit his entire life. You have to do a constant rejection of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross. You must run through that and deny it your entire life to go to hell. Yet men die and go to hell. Hear me today. If you ever hear anything I say, do not be found guilty of rejecting Jesus. Don't go there. Just don't. For you await then only to be cast into the lake of fire created for Satan. It's that simple. Is that harsh? It sure is. Is there a way to avoid it? There sure is. Why would anybody avoid the salvation of Jesus Christ? Today, accept that salvation. Accept that great gift. And there is no worries about the lake of fire. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, I would just pray for each and every one here. I would pray, Lord, for the friends and the family of each and every one here. Lord, when we even consider hell or that lake of fire burning with brimstone, it's so horrendous, Lord, that we shudder. Thank you, Lord, for providing a way of escape from that. So I pray that each and every one here, everyone in our communities, everyone we know, Lord, that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. Let us be quick to warn of the dangers of hell, for it's real, Lord. And we don't want to ever avoid it because it's just a bad or unpleasant thought, Lord. Lord. But we want to thank you, providing for us a way to escape hell. Thank you, Lord. I know this is harsh. I know this is a hard sermon, Lord. But the reality of hell is hard. And I thank you for providing to us a way of escape. We rejoice and we thank you, Lord Jesus. Do that good work in each and every life here, Lord. We pray. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we draw